0: This is The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi.
1: And I'm Jacob Young.
0: On The Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. Hello and welcome to The Edge of Innovation. Today we're talking with Dan Frazier from Cornerstone Commissioning Incorporated. So you sort of alluded to the fact that you collaborate with all the parties at the table. Why wouldn't somebody Do that. I mean, especially in the commissioning space, where you're going to be pointing out flaws. I mean, you know, if I said, "Hey, you know, how come you're wearing those shoes? They look terrible." That's immediately going to put you on a defensive posture, Mm -hmm. as opposed to I've I've said, "Gee, you know, maybe you should think about polishing your shoes (laughs) once in a while." I'm not your shoes. I'm not even looking at your shoes. But so why wouldn't everybody be saying, "Hey, we got to work together to get this done." Do you find that out there? I mean, I think that's, I get the sense that that's sort of a differentiator between you is sort of collaborating, and that seems alarming to me that it would be a differentiator.
2: Yeah, well, it, it is a differentiator, and there—and I think partly because of the kind of buildings that we work on that we are going to find a lot of issues, and so mm-hmm. it's so And right, rightfully
0: so, though. Yeah. You want to have found those issues, yeah. especially in a biomedical building. Mm-hmm. It'd be terrible to have somebody die or get infected because you didn't work through those issues. So, you know, you're not just nitpicking.
2: Right. And so, yeah, they're real issues and they really have to be addressed. Right. In a conclusive way. And it's a tremendous amount of effort a right. lot of times to get these buildings, especially the building control system. Seventy-five percent of our effort is on the building control systems. And okay, so, so what does
0: that do for our listeners, a building control system? What, what does that mean?
2: It's the computerized system that will be tied into monitoring and controlling all the aspects of the environment within the building, and sometimes outside the building in mm-hmm. different ways. But we talk about the ventilation system, mm-hmm. which includes heating and ventilating, bringing air fresh air into buildings. If it's a laboratory building, it's one pass air. In other words, we bring in 100% outside air, heat it or cool it to get to the condition, and then we do a really energy inefficient thing by just exhausting all that air right out of the building. Uh-huh. So these are energy pigs. But but back to the point on the, on the building control system, it, it does the heating, ventilating, air conditioning, lighting controls, might do fire alarm system, Okay. other things related to security. Right. All those things that function within a building control system we're involved with integrate making sure that all these things work properly as an integrated system so that for example when a fire alarm goes off a smoke alarm system and they take that signal and they shut down the supply air handling system because we don't want air blowing into a fire right there have been buildings where we've been hired because they'll say i don't understand why but every time the fire alarm goes off the they lock the doors on the building Well, they actually didn't lock the doors. The supplier handling system kept running, or Uh, stopped running, but the exhaust fans kept running.
0: So it vacuumed. The
2: building was so negative that even a big 250-pound football player couldn't get the door open. Interesting. So, So all those systems have to be verified to do what they're supposed to do. So we, we get pretty involved with the actual building control sequences mm-hmm. to make sure that in a scenario like that, that the exhaust fans still run but at a very right. low speed. Right. So we don't have an egress problem in the uh, building. Do you,
0: how do you test that? Do you actually put it into a failure mode?
2: Oh, yeah. We, we actually run the building. So let me just tell you what – if we look at the whole – our whole sure. process chronologically. Yep. So during the design phase, I already talked about that, we verify the design is going to work in the building during the construction phase we're on site not all the time we're not on site like the contractors we go on site when we need to see how well things are being installed and to make sure that there's not going to be a problem with access Mm -hmm. with maintenance with how things perform and the way things get installed have a huge impact on how well they perform for air flows for the flow of fuel oil to the generator things like that Mm -hmm. leak detection there's all kinds of parts and pieces but then it gets down to the control sequences. We want to start seeing that dampers and valves actuate they're supposed to, when they're supposed to. Sure. So ultimately, we end up having the controls contractor telling us when the systems are ready to be tested. One differentiator between us and other commissioning agents is that we actually will do the testing. We'll actually take our laptops, log on to the building control system when the contractor says it's ready, and then we'll test it so that we're getting it ready for turnover Mm -hmm. so we know it does what it's supposed to do under normal and under failure scenarios. And So we work very closely, especially with the controls Uh contractor, get the building ready for turnover. And then the building's been turned over, owners moved in, and we will look at the building early in the occupancy because sometimes they'll move in and they'll say, well, that room that we were planning on using for doing fume hood testing, now that's gonna be an animal holding room. Like okay. oh, so what is what are the implications of that? So we will we'll look at helping them through some of those modifications Interesting. and alarms and so that during the early occupancy we'll do some tweaks with the building controls contractor on how the building needs to meet those perhaps adjusted. Right. Uses well
0: that. it sounds like they would need to do that continuously, especially mm-hmm. if they change things in the building. Yeah. You know, like okay, we're going to use this for this room today, but six months from now, well, let's let's do this and let's do, and it just incrementally changes. Yeah. Do you get called back in for that, or
2: yeah? So we will be called back in on existing buildings to do what's called existing building commissioning or continuous commissioning, mm-hmm. which is a whole new aspect of the field right now that is starting to expand at a pretty exponential rate. The continuous commissioning is looking; it's doing analytics. Building mm. analytics. So for energy reasons, for performance reasons. Sure. Looking for anomalies in the building that maybe somebody who was running the control system in the building just really got tired of somebody complaining about how cold their room was mm-hmm. in the wintertime and so they do what's called an override. Mm-hmm. You know, override some heating valve open. So it's just open all the time. Mm-hmm not realizing the really detrimental impact it right. can have. And so right. some of these analytics are going to see those overrides and raise a flag, send an alarm right? so that somebody says, why, why is this in place?
0: So are you taking data feeds from these systems mm-hmm. and, and going through them, sort yes. of really analyzing them, or does it just you're trusting their alarms? So, I mean, so I imagine both, but.
2: For continuous commissioning, yep. the way I'm talking about it, where the industry is going, it's, it's a smart Analytics system. Okay. It's not. It's it's being set up in such a way that it doesn't require somebody to go in and look at the data and say, "Hmm, this looks like this could be a problem." No, mm-hmm. these analytics are actually looking for certain things to happen within systems to identify either an energy wasting system relative to outside air conditions. Mm-hmm. How come this? cooling system is operating and it's three below zero. Right, I see. You know, it'll it'll look at things like right. that and, just, and raise a flag. How come the outside air dampers are open on the mechanical room and the unit heaters in there are blowing, they're 100% right. open and producing heat when it's... And degrees outside right those outside air dampers shouldn't be giving you fresh outside interesting. air. interesting unless you need it for combustion air. right
0: first. so now you mentioned a house you did in new hampshire just a few minutes ago tell me a little bit more about that it was zero impact you said
2: well it's not on the grid it's a passive house a where passive it's house not, when i say not on the grid it doesn't have power going to it okay it generates all its own power
0: off the grid or yeah. uh, so it's I mean, not
2: connected to the to the power utility at all at all
0: so you mentioned previously a net zero building What does net zero mean?
2: Net zero means that although the building is connected to the utility Uh lines for power, a net zero building does not take power off the grid. It actually has the capability of supplying all of its own power, typically through some kind of, you know, like PV panels, photovoltaic Uh panels, solar system, um, or some renewable energy source that is not requiring power from the utility.
1: Does your organization need help with your IT? Savior Labs is a Boston IT firm that cares for your business and team. We solve problems so you can focus on what you do best. Talk to us today about your biggest technology problems. Just follow the link in the show notes and enter the code EDGE for more information. All right.
0: This is... I mean, obviously people are interested in saving money and saving the planet and global warming and global cooling and all these different things. So you're saying – are these buildings in New England? We
2: haven't done any net zero buildings in New England. Okay, because we don't DC, have enough –
0: we don't have enough sun.
2: In the D.C. area. <laughs> well, there are some net zero buildings. In oh, really? They're smaller. The unique thing – the interesting thing is about, about these net zero buildings that we're doing, there. One of them is a very large world headquarters building, mm-hmm. and it's an incredible building. It did not save the owner; it won't, it won't save the owner long term by building a net zero building. The payback on it is way beyond. I see because it was exp- rest, consider. It's really about being environmentally conscious, right?
0: So it's a marketing.
2: It's marketing. It's a it's a really unique client who right. just is. Cutting edge in every way in the right. research. So we've done a call center for them. We're doing another large research facility in right. Florida for them, and they're they're just a client who's really committed to doing everything in a way that is very environmentally
0: conscious. Right. Doing good. Yeah. So just to understand that, so it is expensive to make a neutral building.
2: Very expensive.
0: Yes. And hopefully that'll go down, mm-hmm. I you know, we're hoping. But so that's been my I, I don't know if you can speak to this, but that's been my thing with with solar cells mm-hmm. is every year they improve so much yeah. that it would be very painful to have put solar panels in last year mm-hmm. and spent, you know, let's say ten thousand dollars. on I don't even know if that's a reasonable yeah. for a house, yeah. you know, and then you're going to get 10% more efficiency by waiting a year. So the problem is I'll end up waiting forever, (laughs) you know? So it's, it's an interesting thing that, but it's neat to see that there are people sort of want to blaze a trail. Yes. And say, I'm going to do it anyway.
2: And it's, it's helping the industry to go to a place that we just keep getting better at it because we keep using right. it. Right. Yeah. And
0: it is good for the environment. It's just not as good for the wallet. Exactly. So that positive, in other words, they're generating most of their electricity, possibly even giving stuff back to the grid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That while that doesn't make sense financially, it does make sense environmentally. That's correct. Yeah. Okay, cool. How many people, how many companies are in the commissioning world? Are there one, five, a thousand
2: so when the company was started about 17 years ago, okay. it was probably in the low hundreds. okay, And the number of commissioning companies that was in well, – we, we specialize in mission-critical facilities. Okay. I would say that was in the dozens at the time. Interesting. There are now thousands. And really? Yes. And the reason – I'm guessing there might be a couple thousand. Wow. One of the reasons why the number went way up was around 2008, 2009, when uh-huh. the economy tanked. There were design engineering firms and some architects, but mostly design, design engineering firms who their business just dried up. Oh,
0: uh-huh. well, we produce, can do that. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what <laughs> they said?
2: Well, yeah, that's what they did. They hung a shingle out. Yep. And the sad thing was two things happened. The quality or the level of quality of commissioning services went down tremendously uh-huh. because you had people who were used to sitting in cubicles working on CAD systems, maybe wearing a tie. Uh-huh. Now going out to say we do commissioning, you won't find too many guys in our companies wearing ties. Not because right. both, I think we actually are versus wearing ties, but <laughs> we're just hands-on right. people. We have mostly engineers in our company, uh-huh. but we are on construction sites all the time, and we really know systems. Right, and we've had young guys who started in our company engineering degrees. We have one guy six months into the company and he said, I, I firmly believe that the people who design these systems never get out in the field. To
0: see mm, yeah.
2: And so there's an element of that that has come in where from 2008 or 2009 for the next five years we were just flooded with these people who knew how to design systems but they'd get out in the field and they'd say, what is that? All right. But we still we still say that. Yeah. There's some new technology sure. that come. I was like, what is that? I was like, wow, that is so cool. I'm so yeah. glad we get to play with these yeah. new toys. But when it comes to commissioning, there's really... Especially in, bi- in the biocontainment industry where we do most of our work, there's a handful of those kind of commissioning companies out right. there that are recognized and known that have, like us, we've done over 100 right. safety labs yeah. three labs.
0: So. Have the credibility. Yeah. So, why is it called commissioning? Is I mean, like you commission a boat, mm-hmm. or I commission a painting, yeah. or I sell something and I get a commission. Mm-hmm. Why is it called commissioning? Is it? I, I always struggle with the definition of words, and yeah. do you have any insight on that? Well, I
2: think you probably the first thing that you stated is what was probably used for the industry that we're in, and that was the the reference to about being commissioned. Okay. That's probably the most common use of the word commission or commissioning before commissioning was introduced into the construction industry. I right. Think now, you know, there's a lot more construction projects and there are boats being built right. that, are, that are of the scale that need to be commissioned. I see. So that's where it really
0: it came from. So 17 years ago, how many commissioning companies were there in the probably 200. In 200. Yeah. And so that's rare. I mean, that's a rare, rarefied air kind of thing. Yeah. 200 in the United States or, I don't know, worldwide. And it
2: was new. Probably twenty five years ago there were less than a hundred and it and partly because the commissioning or the construction industry uh-huh. did a big turn in the late eighties to nineties. That buildings became more sophisticated. Okay. The owners were putting things on a more on a faster schedule, faster mm-hmm. track schedule. Right. So you combine sophisticated building and a faster delivery. Sure. With what architects and engineers and contractors used to have time to do. Right. And they worked together collaboratively. I come from a contracting background, and if you weren't happy as an owner, we weren't done. Right. And so we would just work with the system, tweak it. Well, today, contractors say whatever the architects and engineers designed on their drawings, that's what we owe, that's what we're going to deliver. And the most efficient way we can do that and get it done as quickly as we can, the owner said they want to have this building done by... January of 2018. So guess what happens on February 1st, 2018? They pack up their their bags and they're gone. Hmm. Their tools and their so to the extent that they can do that, they hit that and it has left this huge gap of performance. And so it really has been applied mostly to mission critical facilities, right. Like right. labs, and right. Like S- All
0: right. When you were 16 years old and thinking about what I want to do for the rest of my life, did you say, "Aha, I'm going to do something that's going to be called commissioning"? <laughs> You probably didn't. So, how what were you thinking of back then, and how did you get to saying, "Aha, I'm going to start a commissioning company"? What made you think that 17 years ago?
2: Well, I knew that someday I was going to own my own company. I grew up in a mechanical contracting company that my great grandfather started 100 years ago. Oh,
0: okay. So you had some comfort in that world. Yes. Okay. Very much so. All right. Cool. And
2: it's just second nature a Frasier male. All right. And so my younger brother runs that business now. And I have an okay. older brother who has his own plumbing and heating business as well. And I graduated with a degree in engineering. Okay.
0: And which, which kind? Aerospace. Aerospace. Ooh, so you could commission it, a plane. <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: perhaps. I don't know. Might have
0: <laughs> I, to have some continuing <laughs> education credits <laughs> I, before I doing that. <laughs> I think
2: I would, yes. But I graduated, got right back into the construction field. huh. was deflected from the aerospace industry by a professor that encouraged me to look elsewhere and really? I really did. Okay. Yeah. The aerospace industry is interesting, and exciting, and I like yep. it, but this ended up being the right path for me. And then I was working for a company who manufactured critical controls for for laboratories, most flow okay. control systems. Uh-huh. And it was while I was working the, at that company that I found out about commissioning and really for me. I was just seeing owner after owner, mostly higher education and federal government laboratory projects that were being delivered. Hundreds of millions of dollars being spent on these buildings, on each building, and the buildings didn't work. Wow. And so I found out about this thing called commissioning, and it was at the right time for me when I was trying to figure out what kind of company am I going to start. Right. And I was teaching a class at University of Wisconsin on ventilation controls for mm-hmm. labs. And I saw a label on one of the doors that said they were teaching commissioning. And I thought, hey, I think that might be something I'd be interested in. And so interesting. I asked the faculty that was teaching it if I could sit in in the back of the room and Oh, yeah, we know your background. We'd love to have you in the classroom for discussion purposes when you can be here. Wow. I was sitting in the class for 10 minutes and started writing my business plan.
0: Really? Wow. Interesting. 2001. 2001. Okay. Well, we've been talking with Dan Frazier of Cornerstone Commissioning, and we're really delighted that you took the time to come in today and look forward to talking in the future.
2: Thank you, Paul. This has been a pleasure.
1: The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at saviorlabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with Copious Amounts of Coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com.